It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am really looking forward to talking with my guest today. Joining me is Jamie Shanks, CEO of Sales for Life, author of the Social Selling blog, and author of a new book, Social Selling Mastery, Scaling Up Your Sales and Marketing Machine for the Digital Buyer. Jamie, welcome to Accelerate. Andy, thank you very much for the invite. Well, my pleasure. So take a minute, introduce yourself, maybe tell us how you got your start in sales. So my name is James Shanks, CEO of Sales for Life. Uh, we've built the world's largest social selling training curriculum, now deployed by 65,000 sales and marketing professionals around the world, every size company around, around the world. And uh, how I got started in sales, uh, somebody had asked me what was my first sales job, and I had owned a landscaping company in high school and university. And the big takeaway there was my mother approached me. I must have done a crummy job in the neighborhood. She <laughs> sat me down and she said, Jamie, I want you to understand this. Every time you do a great job, two people in the neighborhood, tell me about it. Every time you do a crappy job in the neighborhood, eight people in the neighborhood do a crummy job. I don't want to meet our neighbors, so do a better job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so the, the message being bad news travels faster than good news. It does, absolutely. So how'd you get into social selling as a specialty then? So this is the preface to the book you were mentioning, and I'll truncate the story, but I was the director of sales at a SaaS software company, uh, thought that I was the bee's knees, and what does self-proclaimed geniuses do? They start consulting firms. Mm -hmm. And that consulting firm, 18 months later, uh, that firm and I were filing for bankruptcy. And the backstory is the days before my wedding, a vendor, or I was the vendor of a, of, a, of a company that got caught with fraud and embezzlement. And so I was an unsecured vendor, didn't get paid, except it was days before my wedding. Oh, so good timing. I, yeah, left my wedding, uh, went to Costa Rica, did my honeymoon in Paris, didn't tell my wife that when we get home, we're going to be eating ketchup and onion sandwiches for a long time. <laughs> and when I got home, uh, I broke the news and I broke down, started crying and you know, I had to let go of my staff and, and then like, you know, that Phoenix rising from the ashes kind of thing. I, I believe great ideas come from desperation. And I started experimenting with LinkedIn as a means of revitalizing my own career and business. And that was the, you know, the starting point to then social selling mastery, uh, tips, tricks, and tactics that eventually spawned into a methodology. All right. So let's jump into social selling. So there's, there's a lot being written about social selling. And uh, I think to the point where some people are exasperated by the fact that there's so much being written about it. So um, how has it evolved over the last, let's say, three years? That's really sort of seemed to be when it's starting to gain real legs and traction. And, and where do you see it going from here? Yeah. So I'm a huge believer that there's this evolution and, and just think of it as a staircase of five or six layers. And where it was three years ago was what people links would call a random acts of social. Tips, tricks, and tactics. So people looked at social selling as these activities that a salesperson would do to book a meeting, drive business, but they were selling in a vacuum. It was John, the sales rep, this is what he is doing. 
where it, where it needs to be or where it is today is a cohesive plan that brings together sales, marketing, and sales enablement. And each plays a vital piece. Sales professionals become your distribution army of great insights and ideas and conversations. Marketing is fueling that, that funnel with great insights and conversations. And enablement is stitching all of this together into your existing sales process. And I think that that's one of the failures that people don't understand is they think, oh, social selling, it must replace what I'm doing. No, it's just an additive process. Well, I think I think even more importantly, the perspective you just gave there is really crucial. Is that people think social selling is that's something the reps do, and what you're saying is no, no. This is this is part of the selling process for the company. Yeah, and 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 then you need to flip it. And and the language that I that I try to have our customers think about is be in the customer's shoes. They don't call it selling; they call it a buying journey. So. Everything will align to greater customer experience and buying journey, and everyone in the organization is, has a piece to the puzzle of social and digital. Okay. So, and you write that social can be an effective tool at every stage of the buying process. And again, that, I think that's a different perspective than most people have because they tend to think about it as being just sort of a top-of-the-funnel type activity. This is how we engage. But once we get beyond that, there's not a real use for selling. So... Or for social selling, excuse me. So let's talk about that in terms of you know the overall sales process. Because you sort of say it's sort of the social selling sort of sits at the intersection of three types of selling. Yeah, absolutely. So social selling is is the Venn diagram of trigger-based selling, insights-based selling, and referral-based selling. None of them were invented by social selling. They are just mechanized through tools like LinkedIn and Twitter. So each component of the of of your sales functions, so your lead gen, demand gen, inside sales, field sales, customer success channel, they all have accounts and relationships that they need to forge and better. And so you're just applying triggers, referrals, and insights-based selling to your component. So if I'm an inside sales professional, of course, I am thinking about the idea of creating a net new lead through interest and intrigue. So I'm applying social as a means of starting net new conversations. But if I'm on your customer success team and I have five named accounts, my job is to socially surround those accounts. I get to know these people intimately. I am monitoring job change triggers. I am referral-based selling in and out of the org. Um, and at, from a tactical level, I'm even applying from a business context Facebook. I am looking at forming real personal relationships with these people outside the work environment and so that they get to know my kids, I get to know their kids on Facebook. That's social selling. It is. It applies to every single person that is customer facing. Okay. So it's, uh, let's unpack that a little bit because I think that's a great, great insight for people to have. So at the top of the funnel... Really, it's more sort of trigger-based, as you talked about, is, you know, you could use LinkedIn, for instance, to monitor executive job changes. Yeah, so you would use all three of those components, insights, triggers, and referrals. So let's tactically think about it. Inside sales function. I have, my job is to create a net new leader opportunity for the organization. From an insights perspective, this is where marketing is helping me share great new knowledge 
pieces with customers. So they're providing me the content. They're providing me the content, and I'm measuring what was called the content consumption story. Are they reading it? And this is where marketing and marketing automation becomes a full circle here. Are they reading it? Are they interested in it? If they are reading, what haven't they read? And I'm going to now share insights that I know that they actually haven't clicked on and read. So I'm constantly moving them, inching them along the journey. Again, triggers, job changes, referrals, connecting past customers to new customers. That's inside sales. And that same circle starts moving its way along the buying journey and passing along to new sales reps in field sales, sales engineers, all the way to winning that customer. So is there been, you know, you talk about tracking what people are consuming and so on. Is, is that something that sharing is it? been demonstrated it's more effective if you do it through social versus saying I send the guy an email that you know sharing the same content that's I think where a lot of customers had a misconception around the measuring the social side they understand now that you can track email but they never realized that social has the same ability and not to get nerdy they're called UTM parameter codes I can put a cookie on every blog every your podcast uh, every video and I could make that as granular down to the individual sales professional and a social platform. And I can tell that buyers are reading or watching or listening to your podcast um, uh, on these days and they've consumed podcast A and not consumed podcast B. Thus, if they did like A, I will find through the library a like-minded podcast and share what they haven't seen and give that to them to open up a new door or conversation to say, if you liked A, you must like B. It's all trackable. So it doesn't, but the point, I guess my question was, is is the data showing that, that social is something, as opposed to somebody opening an email, are they more likely to click on a link in a, you know, a tweet that you shared or an update that you shared through LinkedIn or through Facebook? Not necessarily. I, every, every buyer is unique in the medium that they consume from. Your job is to identify the path, the path of least resistance. So for me, I will cons- my personal uh, experience, I consume a lot more through LinkedIn than I do Twitter, like 10x. When people message me or a great piece of content is shared on LinkedIn, you get my attention. On Twitter, there's a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. Um, but as well, email. Uh, email is effective for me if done in a certain way because I just happen to clean my Google inbox out every Sunday to zero. So those that message me on late Sunday nights or early Monday mornings get my undivided <laughs> attention, right? So the purpose of a sales professional is to identify, and you don't necessarily, well, there are warning signs, of course, you can see social activity, but your goal is to figure out the medium that best gets that buyer's attention. And social is just another tool in the tool belt. Which sort of raises the the question that you've seen, I'm sure you've seen online and so on, is, is someone saying, okay, when, when can we stop calling social selling, social selling, just call it selling? Well, the, the, the day um, that will happen, it, it would be as goofy as calling it email selling now. Right. It will be the day where you walk onto a sales floor and the cadence of every person in that room, they would look at you funny if you said, are you using social? social. And they'd, they'd yeah. say, what are you talking about? Of course I am. And that day, it's just selling. Right. But we only delineate that word now 
because we need to prop it up for search engine optimization and create businesses around it. <laughs> well, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, but also I think that, well, let's ask the question then without digressing too much, what we are, about penetration you know, of social selling into Salesforce in general, because it still seems to me that it's still a very thin layer in terms of salespeople in general, notwithstanding you've got 65,000 people taking your your courses, but you know, I speak to groups all the time, and and you know, I'm blown away by how little they're using it. Oh, 100%. If outside of Silicon Valley, if you were to walk onto the sales floor of an average business in London, England, New York City, Sydney, Australia, it is only the tip of the iceberg. And and you, you know the Pareto law, the 80-20, it, it is without fail. So we've now trained 300 companies and without fail, the top performing reps were already organically doing what they would deem social selling. They're hodgepodging self-taught ideas, give or take, on average, 70% of all sales professionals self-taught themselves some form of social selling. So then you've got this Pareto law of your your rock stars are already doing it, but the average core performer or laggard hasn't got a clue. And especially when you leave the valley, go to the, you know go to a regular insurance company or financial services business, they're at ground zero. All right. So what about their buyers, though? Uh, I mean, and they're, I mean, is that true? Is the Silicon Valley buyers are more likely to be using it, or do we find the buyers are more advanced than sellers in general? Uh, um. And I wish I had more empirical evidence on this, so I'm just going to use my gut feel. Sure, that's good. Yeah, my gut feel is, and I watch, and I don't think ageism is necessarily important here, but well, we're going to talk I, about this. We're yeah, gonna, don't get too I far into that. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, because I watch, I watch the way my parents buy. I watch the way my wife on the couch buys, and myself. And I wrote this in the book that. I just, just a couple days ago, I just bought a brand new car. I spent a week online comparison shopping. I've bought TVs online. I've, done, I've bought consumer goods online, but it's such a misconception from a B2B sales professional that they think, oh, they must not be doing ERP software searches. They must not be looking at corporate healthcare plans online. Are you kidding me? The buyer, whenever they have downtime, is using Google and peer-to-peer networking and social as an education due diligence platform. Your job is to be front and center during that. And the buyer is doing this. I can't say every buyer in every industry, but as a vast majority, this is how we all buy now. Yeah, so the buyers are ahead of sellers in general, we're saying. Oh, way ahead of sellers. Okay, so let's jump back to the funnel and finish that up quickly and then before going to the next subject. So uh, middle of the funnel, because this is, this is, I think, this is the fascinating part that sales reps listening to this really need to understand is that you know, social is not relegated just to making those connections, is that it has a role throughout the process. And you talk about specifically providing insight sort of in what you call the dead zone in the middle of the funnel. Yep. So why don't you explain uh, that? Oh, fantastic. And Andy, I was just going to congratulate you being really prepared for this. I, I, I thought, wow. You, you don't know who you're dealing with here, man. Yeah, no, this is great. Okay, so now, now I'm in the middle of the funnel. So I'm a sales executive, and my my role is to qualify something into a sales qualified lead, move it towards opportunity proposal, and then eventually win it. This period of time is most likely to be the biggest period of time of where buyers go silent. They will do a demo, they will ask for proposals, and then they'll hum and haw for could be weeks, months, even years, depending on the complexity of your sales cycle. 
Well, the reality is, is your job is to inch the ball forward every single day. And because the reason that this is falling apart and it comes to the customer, uh, uh, CEB's challenger customer, spinning plate theory, is that everyone in their buying committee is moving at different speeds. And so it's your responsibility to keep people up to speed, see that there are uh, people that you can uh, educate online or offline, there are going to be changes in the organization all the time. Those are your triggers, mergers and acquisitions, competitors launching new products, and then referral-based selling. Again, everybody's moving at different speeds. Can you connect a previous customer to a future customer? Can you introduce one person in the org to another person? Because th this is the complexity of selling, and it's paramount that you're using social as a, you know as a, a medium to be able to help along that journey slowly. But surely. And I sort of triggered an interesting thought in my mind is, well, <laughs> I should qualify interesting to me thought, is, so are you finding that, that the adoption of social selling more in this complex sales environment is described in the challenger sale and challenger customer and so on and, and really has more of a role to play there? Yeah, I would, I would say, and I'm just looking from our own customer base, and maybe it's because our customer base is, primarily enterprise, mid-market size organizations. Transactional selling, when I started this business, I was working with local Toronto businesses, SaaS software companies that were banging out deals all day long, and because that was my experience, lead generation, top of the funnel. But as social has begun to emerge, it's not, uh, emerge and mature, there's no question it plays a much larger role in that trusted advisor concept, the complex sell. And that's why it baffles my mind when field sales or customer success of, in, of larger deals, they say, I don't know that social's for me. I only have five named accounts. Like what? Your accounts are worth millions and millions of dollars, but you not <laughs> want to know this information? Um, because, and social still applies to transactional sales professionals. It just, that you're not massaging the data to the same level of due diligence that an enterprise sales professional might be. Right. You're still using the same material, just in a more rapid pace. You know, I, I look at our inside sales professionals that deal with our inbound leads. They only have so much time in the day to amass information on that buyer. So they have to use social shortcuts to get enough information to have a contextual conversation. Right. Okay, so let's let's move on to the next topic. You sort of <laughs> alluded to it earlier. We talked about ageism, but you write about this generation gap in social, but with a surprising twist. I think that that would be unexpected for most people. So why don't you talk about that? Yeah, and this was Justin Schreiber, who's the chief marketing officer at LinkedIn Sales Solutions, presented at our digital growth conference in San Fran, and what he said on stage, I think, shocked people, and it. When you see social selling uh, launches that we do, it, it's amazing. You see the senior leaders naturally gravitate towards, well, let's train the inside sales group because they're 25 to 30 year olds and they're on their iPads all day long anyways. So we might as well you know, give a process to that. But what the empirical, uh, the empirical data has shown is that those that are in their late 30s, 40s, 50s, who have larger networks, bigger roles, uh, the connections that they make with people are people with more power and influence in organization actually have outperformed their younger peers. 
and it's just just natural. I mean, Andy, uh, so I'm born in 1978. My friends now are becoming vice presidents of companies, mm-hmm. even presidents of companies. And so if I'm connecting with like-minded people, these people are now in a decision-making seat, whereas my 25-year-old peers, their friends are becoming, you know, middle managers or, you know, team leaders and so forth. So age has actually proven that while, and it's called digital natives versus digital immigrants. Right, so, interesting terms too. Yeah, so I, I'm, a, I'm a, what they would call a digital immigrant. I wasn't born with an iPad in my hand. It was a learned behavior. But once I learn these skills, like any other skill, I can take more advantage of it than even my younger peers. Yeah, it, it's really, it's, it's a fascinating perspective because you, know, you think about that, uh, a lot of the basic networking skills, if you master those, and some of which include real networking, right? And I think that's one of the things that sort of, the spin I was sort of putting on it is that, you know, this older generation of, of people, certainly of which I'm a member, is people that by and large, I think, are also more accustomed to the person-to-person networking type thing than the younger generation, you know, that has, has grown up not really using their phone. Everything's texted. Everything is, is, you know, it's not that they're not in communication. They're constant communication, but it's, it's of a different sort than that person-to-person networking. And I think that's what really translates. And I think it's where perhaps, you know, the millennials are a bit of a disadvantage right now. And, but I think the, the advantage that the millennial has is their sales environment will forever have social and only expand for the rest of their lives. Like this is, they, they did not need to learn 150 cold calls a day and then transfer and completely change their sales process to adding social into the mix. And I, and I find that that's what sales professionals my age and older are learning. They said, well, I've always been measured on, on talk time and dials and all these things. I have to change the way that I view my sales activities and the way that our company views our sales activities. The millennials coming in, you know, unless they're working at very old school companies, they're they're not accustomed to banging out a hundred calls a day. So, this this transfer of knowledge for them is is probably easier. Uh, you know, I have I don't even remember what it was like to learn this anymore, but it's probably easier for the millennial. But it has more impact immediately, I think, on the Generation X uh, and the baby boomer. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of interesting. Well, though, actually, to your point, though, is, you know, if it's a millennial working in a SaaS environment, they are accustomed to banging out a lot of phone calls. Well, yeah, that's true. If it, if it depends on the sales org, uh, there are still many that, you know, they do, they bang out those 100 calls. Um, the, the, you know, the question that I have is around... Um, is attraction and retention, and we've never done measurements on it. We have customers that have subjectively noticed it, but those that start introducing social into those environments, they are having stickier employees. They're having easier finding it easier to attract millennial talent because now the millennial sees, okay, I have all of these tools in my tool belt that allows me to attract a customer rather than the phone book and email and banking out 100 calls. But well, it's sort of interesting because that sort of runs into the sort of fundamental tension you see with a lot of SaaS companies is that you know, it's, the, it's all the activity metrics that are, are what are measured. Yeah, and well, from an activity metric, 
and this is something that we just did recently. So we were able to hit a certain level of activity in social conversations a day with one of our inside sales professionals. And we bolted on sales loft on top of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's not that our teammate is making more calls. It's they're making more touches. He tripled his touch rate. Now, we still are approaching our our buyers through social uh, much more than the average organization. Um, but there's technology that can can amplify touches to make the same level of touches that you're accustomed to via the phone. Um, now, I'm not saying that you should replace one with the other. I think it should be a, a mixture of both. But um, I don't even know where I was going with that. But <laughs> well, the, I guess one of the questions I'd have then is: so what you're finding because you're using obviously you're eating the dog food, so to speak, is are you finding that? You know, in comparison to what you're doing with, let's say, outbound calling, that your outbound social is um, generating more sales conversations, or you know, what, what comes to outcomes, you know, do they do the curves tend to meet at some point, or are you finding that yours is a different ramp with social? Yeah, and I'll use our customers' experience rather than ours because ours is we're so heavily weighted to social as a, a means of starting the conversation rather than the phone, but with our customers. On average, if you were to look at all of their, let's say, inside sales departments, on average, these organizations within six months are creating 20% incremental net new pipeline above and beyond what they were doing before. So whatever that sales rep was responsibility from an activity and results standpoint, six months later, there's a 20% net new increase because they recognized that if you do a social selling routine effectively, which is only 30 to 60 minutes a day, it's not intrusive enough that it's sucking away time from the phone. It's just finding your down periods or you know, working a little bit smarter rather than harder, and they're able to get and yield better results. So that's that is the empirical evidence that we've seen. Uh, I wouldn't use our company as a, a great litmus for that. Okay. Let's talk about your new book, Social Selling Mastery. So, who's it written for? It is written for four different people. And so, it's actually segmented into four different sections. It is written for the what we call the three amigos. The three amigos are those that lead a social selling program internally. The VP of Sales, the VP of Marketing, and the VP of Sales Enablement, or whatever you call them in your own organization. Uh, each have an accountability and responsibility to the success of social selling. And then the fourth, of course, is the individual sales professional, and it's very tactical on what he or she should be doing every single day in 30 to 60 minutes a day. Okay. So give some examples. Okay. So let's come back to the accountability and responsibility. So. Of your three amigos, if I'm a VP of sales, my responsibility is helping people get to the water and making them drink. And I, that can only happen by me first showing that I can drink the water. And then on my daily coaching, or sorry, my weekly or monthly coaching, a one on one calls, whatever I do, is that I am actually driving accountability that people are doing social activity. I can't just talk out of one side of my mouth and not. Uh, coach or align our metrics to it at all, mm -hmm. it just would never happen. So then now it comes to the chief marketing officer. My first responsibility is changing the mindset on how we're going to measure ourselves and be accountable to social. And 
this is critical that the first thing a marketing team, a digital content marketing team needs to do is sit down with sales and understand how a sales team is measured and what percentage of sales quota attainment did the sales team think was going to be driven through marketing. And that always surprises the crap out of marketing <laughs> because they realize that the fluffy Well, on, wait, on the plus side or the minus side? Oh, the minus side because... They assume the, zero. Yeah, because, well, no, or they've accounted for even some percentage. And the reality is, is marketing's never measured themselves by sales bookings. We call this team revenue. Team revenue is the three amigos working together in a service level agreement that there's, there's no role more important than each other. It's just one teammate helping the other. But coming back to marketing, you're looking at sales and you're going, okay, you think that one out of every four deals you're going to do is being driven from marketing. I'm not measuring myself that way. I'm looking at clicks and open rates and, and marketing qualified leads. And that means nothing. That's a leading indicator, but that's not how the organization pays the bills. So the marketing's responsibility is first figuring out what is my responsibility and contribution and aligning our, our resources and our development of assets and our pipeline to getting to sales quota attainment. That's the only thing marketing should care about. And what that ultimately has them do is look at themselves like an ad agency and say, we are not deploying our resources properly to be able to get to that sales quota attainment. We don't build enough assets. Uh, so it's volume, velocity, and probability. We don't build enough assets. Our assets aren't performing strong enough and we don't build them quick enough to achieve those goals. And then the third is sales uh, enablement. And their job is to figure out the people process and technology. Who's measuring this? How do we measure this? How do we reinforce this? How do we stitch this into our existing sales process? So tactically, those are the responsibilities of these three people. And I iron out very clearly what you do, how you do it um, to get the three amigos in line. Yeah, it seems like you're selling yourself short when you call it social selling mastery because you're really talking about modern sales structure or alignment, if you will. It is truly digital transformation. And yeah. and that's by becoming a social selling mastery. Uh, social selling mastery is just a byproduct of sales and marketing alignment and integration right. in, in reality. Uh, the only reason it's still called social selling mastery is it does really well on Google and it creates a business around it. But there's no question the bigger so the bigger thing that we solve is a digital transformation in the sales and marketing departments. Yeah, best practices for that. So now we move into the last segment of the show. I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And in the first one, Jamie, you're, you're the star of the show. You've just been hired in this scenario. You've just been hired as a VP of sales at a company whose sales have stalled out. Yeah. CEO anxious to get things turned around, back on track. Yeah, I know it doesn't happen in a day, but you got to start somewhere. So what, what two things could you do your first week on the job that would have the biggest impact? So I would look at where our revenue mix comes from. And to one of the points we made before, I have a feeling that your inbound demand generation waterfall is <clears throat> really lacking and is not supplying your sales team with enough horsepower. So the, the thing that I would do immediately is sit with the chief marketing officer and figure out how we create a much bigger inbound lead flow because sales professionals that have to drive their own sales all day long, 100% of quota attainment, they are not going to last very long. Um, the, the second piece I would then look at is um, 
behavior and, and uh, behavior and skill sets. So our is Rep A and Rep B selling completely different? We need to standardize a, a go-to-market strategy. Those would be the two that I would look at. Okay, good answer. So here's sort of a, a digression question for you. So I think people oftentimes conflate skills and behaviors. How do you dif- distinguish them? Uh, yeah, so a, a behavior I also think of as a mindset. So um, as an example, for a mindset for myself, I had to change my checking emails right when I woke up in the morning to a mindset of I'm going to educate myself and then my market first and I'm going to leave emails for later in the day. That was the mindset. The skill set is the actual tactic. So what I did is I removed all of the alerts off my phone, email alerts, and I concentrated on making my social uh, content apps front and center on the front page of my of my phone. So the the behavior is the learning of the new skill and the mindset of learning that new skill. And then the skill set is the deployment of it. Um, I would say those are the distinguishing features between the two. Okay, great. So now some rapid fire questions for you. you can give me one word answers or elaborate if you wish. First one is uh, when you, Jamie, are out selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Um, I'm a ditch digger. Uh, if I did the challenger sale, uh, I'm the, I am the hard worker. I just, I just work more hours and do more crazy flights and conversations than most. Okay. Yeah. Who's your sales role model? I am a mixture of between Grant Cardone and Gary Vaynerchuk. So uh, there's elements of both of them I absolutely admire. All right. Besides your own, one book that every salesperson should read. It was the book that I think founded the, my business, the Challenger Sale. The Challenger Sale. While I don't necessarily think it's as implementable, from a concept standpoint, it, is, it, it changed my life. Okay. Uh, good, good qualification there. I like that. Uh, so, last question for you. What music's on your playlist these days? So I'm a hodgepodge of classic rock at the cottage and uh, World War II jazz. I know it's like the tale of two cities with me. <laughs> World War II jazz, very interesting. So, like Billy Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald. Right. I was gonna say with vocals or without. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Well, very good. Well, Jamie, thanks for joining us. Tell people how they can find out more about you. Uh, so you can connect with me on social media. So Jamie on uh, Jamie Shanks on LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, from a book standpoint, go to getsocialselling.com. And that is going to be how you find the book. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And one easy way to do that is make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine, whether you listen on your commute, in the gym, or make it part of your morning sales meeting. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Jamie Shanks who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.